This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Bob Keipel. Great to see you, Bob. Good to be here. A um, little disappointed you're not wearing an MSU shirt today, but we'll let that slide. At least I'm wearing uh, a shirt. At least, <laughs> yes, you are. Um, <laughs> otherwise, Fiona wouldn't be joining us, at least not on camera, I'm sure. <laughs> but we're really excited um, today to welcome Fiona Moss on the show. Uh, Fiona is the head of global CX, uh, global CX analytics team at Ipsos with both uh, which are very interesting. Um, and the author of a recent article that was published, the key to your CX success, finding the right customer experience KPI for your business. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thank you for having me. So Fiona, first of all, for our, our listeners who aren't familiar with Ipsos, can you tell us a little bit about Ipsos and, and what Ipsos does? Of course. So Ipsos is um, a global market research firm. So we we have presence in um, probably get in trouble now. I can't remember the number of countries, but it's not 90 plus, I think, countries. Yes, um, and we um, just testing. So that in itself, to me, is really exciting. Um, the fact that a global company has a CX analytics team, a global CX analytics team. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that your team does and what your role is in leading that team? Of course. So as a team, we work with um, local markets around the world, hope, helping our clients and also our, our sort of client or our research face, um, facing teams get the best out of their data. So what, what can we do with customer experience data, which is a bit different, which is a bit interesting and that can really, really help our clients make sense of what's going on for their customers and then also improve their businesses. Um, so my role is as team leader within that is to coordinate the team, but also to liaise with um, different members of, of the Ipsos business. So people like our chief research officer to ensure that we have a sort of innovative offer, which is moving with the times and which is picking up on, on interesting things that we should be taking to our clients because we want to make sure that, you know, they are, are really sort of sticking to the latest innovations and, and hearing the latest news from us in the customer experience space. That's cool. That's cool. I want to um, I want to dive into this whole idea of KPIs because key performance indicators are obviously the talk of the CX community and in particular linking the CX outcomes to business outcomes. So yes, what are the key ingredients to a good KPI in this world of CX? I think you've just mentioned actually one of the key ones, which I always want to emphasize, and it is that link between the survey data, the KPI, and the real world business outcome. 
Um, there are, though, I think a number of ingredients that sort of get us there. Um, and the extent to which those ingredients apply to different organisations will vary. And so that's one of the reasons um, in the paper that we've recently published, we don't land on a single KPI, because I think a KPI choice is very much specific to A, you know, the purpose that the business is trying to serve and, and B, the organisation itself. Um, and that states, takes me to my, my first group of, of ingredients, if you like, which are all about sort of serving the, the organisation. And the first thing we want to do is ensure that the KPI does fit the culture of the organization that it's serving. So typically this will be around levels of complexity, for example, and some organizations will want a, a relatively simple KPI. So something like NPS is a good example. Um, and that's because really they want that simplicity and that ease of understanding to get you know, business buy-in. So the business can rally behind it and really try and improve and move that KPI. Um, other organizations may feel like they need, the, the, well, they need something a little bit more, more complex. And so increasingly we're seeing um, composite KPIs where there is a functional dimension. So is the business doing what it says it will, um, but also an emotional dimension. So how did I feel as a result of the experience that I had? Um, and that is really good sort of for giving a holistic understanding of what's going on in the customer experience. But of course, businesses do have to understand it and they do have to, to wrap their heads around it. Um, I think linked to that idea of, I guess, understanding a cultural fit is also the need for an organisation to understand how and why a KPI is reported in the way it's reported. So to take the example of NPS for ex um, as an example, um, why, why does a nine matter so much more than an eight um, from an individual when, we, when we're thinking about NPS? Um, I think the second key ingredient is something I've alluded to slightly already, but I think it's worth also underlining, and that's around um, matching the, the sophistication or the customer experience maturity or, of an organization. So I talked about um, that example of a composite metric where we're combining functional and emotional measures. Um, that's a brilliantly powerful metric, but if an organization is still struggling to deliver the functional side of its offer. So if it, if it can't really quite deliver what it wants to deliver or what it says it will deliver, it's probably best to function on, um, to focus even on metrics, which are, are really sort of centered on getting that functional delivery right. And then once it's resolved its delivery issues, then of course we can start to layer in an emotional element or anything else that might be of relevance to the client. Um, we also need to think about the, the sort of fit with the, the nature or sector of the organization as well. So to give you some specific examples, if we think within a B2B environment, if an organization is frequently surveying non-decision makers, then a KPI like likelihood to continue isn't a particularly intu intuitive choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and something like overall satisfaction, which you know, you tracks how well something's been delivered might be better. But within the B2C world, so even within the, the B2C world, um, we also have sort of low engagement sectors. So, for example, insurance, um, where, you know, people pay their premium and hope that's the extent to which they'll need to use the brand over the course of the year. Um, and in those cases where there is a relative lack of engagement, um, satisfaction and recommendation aren't always the best choices, but ch churn metrics may be better. So the likelihood to continue and things like that. Um, and we also have sectors where there is no choice. So I think in the, the UK, 
for example, we don't have any say over our workplace pension providers. So asking a recommendation or likelihood to continue there doesn't doesn't make much sense. Um, but satisfaction does, because obviously, you know, that's a measure of whether or not the provider is delivering as expected. Um, but in all of those examples, I think I should probably add that they are really big generalizations and there will be exceptions to every single rule and really good reasons why, why we should be breaking those rules. Um, so that's another reason why in the paper I haven't come down in favor of one KPI and one KPI yeah. only. Um, because yeah, we do need to have that flexibility and that recognition of the organization we're trying to serve. Um, so those are kind of the ingredients that focus on fitting the, the organization or serving the organization. But we also need to think a little bit, bit about the customer as well and ensuring that the KPI is, is a good cultural fit with the customer or with the respondent. Um, and I typically think about this in two ways. So firstly, we need to make sure that the question makes sense to, to the respondent or to the customer. So again, taking the example of NPS, in, in some cultures, recommendation is just simply not a done thing. So um, asking MPS in those markets tends to lead to, to lower scores as a result. Um, and we also see in other cultures that particularly for big ticket purchases, anything other than sort of 100% satisfaction is seen as something, uh, something like a loss of face for, for want of a better um, expression. So again, satisfaction is probably not the best metric there. Um, because, and I think, you know, in, in both cases, ultimately what we're seeing is that the metric is not reflecting what customers think. So we just need to, you know, be cautious about that. Um, that matters if, if research is taking place just in those single markets, but it matters all the more if the research is taking place across multiple markets, because of what it means is that cultural response bias is, is in play. Um, and without going into too much detail about cultural response bias, but that's where um, a market may have a particular tendency to score at a particular point in a response scale, regardless of, of the performance of the service or the product that the person is rating. And because of that sort of tendency to score at that particular point in the scale, what that means is that responses across markets aren't directly comparable. So when we think about the KPI, we do have ways of mitigating that and they can be analytical ways of mitigating that. But we do want to make sure that the KPI itself is flexible enough and its reporting system is flexible enough to, to cope with those mitigations. This, um, what, a, what a comprehensive answer to the question <laughs> about KPI. Like I'm sitting yeah. here thinking there are a lot of companies and organizations out there that have an existing dashboard or something going on and they don't think about it at all, whether it's even relevant, whether the customer even gets the question. Um, I really appreciate you sort of taking the, the time to go into that kind of de detail and sophistication. That's an excellent answer. Yeah. Yeah, a few few follow up questions came in, into my mind as you're going through. How do you how do you work with a C suite in convincing them of one KPI or or the other? Because um, yeah, yeah, I'll stop I'll stop at that because yeah, your your you know your justification and the thought process mm -hmm. that goes in selection. How do you steer a C-suite in the right direction? I mean, people are so to... busy, like they're, you know, they're very, you know, they just want a quick answer to things and, and there's a lot yeah. of sophistication here. Well, or they're so bought into one KPI that they're not willing to consider the other mm -hmm. um, or, or even the cultural variables. But how do you, how do you get the C-suite to adopt the correct KPI? 
so I think that there are two approaches. So the first one comes down to to thinking about the purpose that the KPI is is trying to serve, um, and really honing in on that that purpose with the C-suite. So if if we think, for example, about the difference between a relationship and a transactional study in a, a relationship study, we want to understand how attached customers are to the brands, mm-hmm. and that takes us in one direction for a KPI. And the kind of behaviors that that KPI should trigger within the business are all ones around um, trying to build consumer relationships and trying really to drive up all those good commercial outcomes that we, we spoke about at the beginning of, of the session. Um, if we think about a transactional study, often those tend to be shorter. They're very much in the moment. It's very much more about whether or not you know the person's needs have been met in that moment. And that can take KPI in in a different direction because we just want to assess whether or not needs have been met. So I think the first step is, you know, having an open and honest discussion about what purpose that KPI should serve, what actions it should trigger within the business. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're in a place where we've already got perhaps a study and it's got multiple KPIs in in it already and we're trying to pick pick one, trying to land on one, which should be the one that the business rallies behind. Um, What we can do, and this is something that actually I'm very proud of my team because we developed it. We can do a piece of analysis called Roxy or Return on Customer Experience Investment Analysis, Mm. which is where we, we take the KPI and we find a statistical link between that and a business outcome so whether that be you know customer value decreased churn increased product holding and so mm-hmm. on yeah. and we validate the KPI against those commercial outcomes and we can test multiple KPIs if we need to to find the one which is the best predictor of the commercial outcome because that's basically what we want we want a KPI that is a sort of commercial indicator or a sort of bar- barometer of health um, for the organization. Good answer. I, I love it. I, I love it. So now you. You, you brought up NPS and there are a lot of arguments both for and against NPS as a KPI. So what, what are some of the top line pros and cons of NPS that, that, that decision makers in CX should be considering? Of course. So I think it's, it's really actually good to talk about NPS because it is a, a very, very popular and a very, very strong metric. And I think for, for good reason. So um, I think I've already mentioned this, but it, it's simple to understand. It's sim- simple to ask. It's simple to communicate as a result. Um, it's also concise. So both in terms of questionnaire space, but also also reporting because it's just one number. Um, the calculation is easy to follow. So the, the proportion scoring nine and ten minus the proportion scoring naught to six. Um, we know it's a good proxy for actual advocacy as well, which is often a desirable outcome mm. for, for many businesses. Mm. And as a result of that, it drives action as well because people mm. understand it. Um, but there are some downsides. So so it doesn't fit all sectors. So I've already mentioned sort of low engagement sectors in business cons- to, to consumer environments where, you know, people just really don't have enough knowledge or experience of the brand to feel that they can recommend it. Um we also need to recognize it doesn't take account of um, customers' views of competitors. So yes, we're aiming for a nine or 10 ultimately, but if a competitor, I'm sorry, if a customer even mm-hmm. is using multiple brands for the same purpose and they're all scoring the competitor brands uh, a nine or a 10 as well, then suddenly the nine or 10 for, for the sort of the, the main brand is, is, not, is not as impressive if you like. Um, what we found through the linkage work we've done as well is that it's not necessarily more linked to desirable business out- outcomes than other KPIs. It really does depend on what outcome we're looking at and the nature of the business that we're working with. Um, 
so a couple more points there. It's um it's subject to cultural response bias, which we've touched on. So that that sort of calculation which is fixed mm. obviously it, it does does sort of end up being a little bit stretched as we work across different different cultures um, and it can be harder to reach a, a nine or ten in some markets than in other markets and then finally it's a little bit volatile sometimes because it's got those two moving parts um, and, and sometimes the measure moves more as a result of the maths behind it than on than of actual sort of difference. So you know the other issue that I find in talking to practitioners um, they're, they're really quick when, when it's really high, they're quick to quote what their NPS is. But sometimes when you ask them, what are your, the key drivers of NPS in your organization? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can't answer the question. So what's the danger in using a KPI like NPS and not actually using it to manage your business? Can you, can you become I'm disillusioned that, you know, everything's great around here, so there's no need to improve anything? I think certainly that that would be a dangerous conclusion to to make. Um, and I think that that it, it comes back really to, to validating MPS. So is MPS actually reflecting mm -hmm. the health of, of the business? And if it is really high and it's always really high, maybe that is great. Maybe that means that your business is doing absolutely fantastically. Or, or maybe that means that MPS isn't the metric for you. So I think, it, you know, it does need to be validated. Um, if it shows that, you know, if that validation holds and it does show that, you know, your business is performing really, really well, um, then I think, you know, rather than being, I guess, complacent about that, you need to think about, well, what happens if that score drops? So, you know, what when that when we have that validation in place, if that proportion of promoters drops, what what is that going to do ultimately to those commercial outcomes? Is, is that going to have a negative impact? I want to. I want to go. I want to talk about validation here. So, let's go okay. back to this fundamental idea of just improving CX and driving the right business outcomes. Yeah. Um, how do you maybe talk us through with your brain power and your sophistication? Um, how, talk us through the validation aspect to make sure an organization selects the right KPI. Of course. So I think, first of all, we, we actually need to think about the the business question that we're, we're trying to validate. And this is often, you know, a, a, it sounds like it should be a really simple thing, but it's not always a simple thing. So to take the example of, say, buying a train ticket, you might assume that if a client, you know, likes a brand more, for want of a, a better term for a KPI, that means that they would spend more um, with, with a particular brand. But if we think about a train ticket, just because you like the train company that you're traveling with doesn't mean you're going to pay more than the, the cost of the ticket. So, so the first part really is about, you know, what is that what is that business hypothesis and does it make sense from a customer's perspective as well as a business perspective? Um, once we've got that hypothesis in place, then we need to start thinking about the data. So obviously we need our survey data because we need our KPIs or our KPI if we've just got the one. Um, and then we want to ensure as well that we've got business data um, in place that reflects the, the hypothesis that we've come up with with the business. Um, but it's a case of joining those data sets and, and exploring them to, to find a pattern in the data which shows that as the KPI increases or as people give higher KPI scores, then the, the desirable business outcome is, is also increasing. Um, and there are lots of different ways of exploring that that I won't get into. But, you know, we, we look for that pattern point in time um, over a period of time as well, because obviously there can be a, a sort of lead and lag time as well between giving a KPI score and ultimately changing your behavior. 
Well, that's so, the, don't that's know if that the answers your Gra question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Holy Grail in CX a lot of times is, um, is this going to improve my CI? I mean, my my my, yeah. my, my ROI if I do yeah. this magical touchy feely thing, you know? And so making that link is so important. Yeah, yeah, it it really is, and it's um it is it's a fascinating area to work in and to look at different KPIs and and how they work. Um, and which ones predict better in different sectors and so on. And, and then, you know, what what the business outcome should be and then the data around it as well. So it's a it's a really exciting area to, to work in. It's not not without its challenges in terms of um, managing the data, but it is really exciting. And when we when we get that link and it's a really strong one, mm -hmm. it can be a real kind of aha moment, which is not an expression I particularly like. But that moment where yeah. you say, you know, here is the link. This is why we're focusing on this KPI. Yeah. And you can sort of see in people's faces. Oh, yes, this is why we've got. A KPI in place. So, Fiona, um, you've you've identified a, a KPI. Um, how do you improve on a KPI once it's been selected? Um, so I'm quite a big fan of key drivers analysis, which which may not be the mm. sort of the trendiest piece of analysis to mm. do, but I think it, it is a go to in terms of identifying improvements. Um, and um, so for anyone not familiar with it, it, it sort of looks at um, the relationship between different different aspects of the customer experience, for want of a better expression, and the KPI um, establishes a relationship between the two of them. And then we can carry out simulations to see what would happen if each aspect of the customer experience is improved and what that would mean for the KPI. Um, and that makes it brilliant for, for prioritization because we understand how those different aspects impact the KPI and we can pick the ones which have got the biggest impact on the KPI or we can pick perhaps the ones which have got a really low performance but a sort of you know a moderate um, impact on the KPI so we can play around with different rationale for, for driving in improvement. Um, as part of that I think we also need to, to consider carefully what we put into our drivers analysis so we definitely need functional elements so you know things like is, is the billing accurate do staff know what they're talking about and, and so on so real, real functional aspects of the customer experience which have got a kind of obvious how-to in terms of how to fix them um, but again thinking about the kind of the level of customer experience maturity that an organization might have um, sometimes it's quite interesting to include some some relational elements as well so typically elements grounded in in behavioral science um, which um, sort of really well are the different dimensions or building blocks of of the customer of, of human relationships and we can put those into a driver's analysis model as well so we can help our clients understand how to improve these different dimensions of human relationships and so how to strengthen their relations relationships with their customers um so so improving that kpi i think is about thinking about the kind of i keep coming back to the word ingredients but thinking about the kind of ingredients oh, that you're going to put yeah in terms of improving I, the kpi I, as well I, as making up the kpi i love the analogy to a recipe um <laughs> and, I, and i imagine the recipe changes based on situational differences right so if definitely whether it's you know you brought up the importance of functional um i imagine functional elements are particularly important at at the early stages of a relationship where you're much more rational as a consumer in your evaluation mm -hmm. and then those human elements will become more um, the human and emotional elements will become more important at the deeper you get in, in the relationship. And we've kind of taken our rational 
you know, it's like, I always liken it. The first time you walk into a restaurant, you're much more cognitive in your evaluation. But after repeated visits to that restaurant, I think a lot of that falls aside and more of the attention goes to, um, are they recognizing me as a repeat customer? Mm -hmm. Am I getting that level of empathy? So I, the driver analysis, I can, would be really fascinating to understand under different, you know, different stages of the relationship, yep. different situational elements. Like if I have a problem and I'm complaining, um, yes, there is a procedural element that's going to be critical, but are you yep. turning up your empathy? And, you know, so could you take us through your thoughts Definitely. on that as far as the driver's analysis is concerned? Of course. I mean, I think so. It's really interesting you brought out, you know, the situational and the the different stages there of, I guess, the customer life cycle for want of mm -hmm. a better um, expression. Um, because I, th I think that that is key um, and even the sector is key as well. So you mentioned there that, you know, as you get used to the restaurant, you may think more about, you know, how it makes you feel than when you first got there, when you're thinking about, you know, the more more functional elements. But um Perhaps say I don't know if you you know you've ordered up something something new and you you know you perhaps you're ordering it on the phone, and this is your first contact with the organisation and it's mm -hmm. over the phone and the person is really rude to you and they make you feel you know like you know you're not valued and you don't matter and so on. Even in those early stages, that those relational elements can mm -hmm. can really matter. So what we what we tend to do is is have a look at these different relational dimensions. Um, across the, the customer life cycle. So right from the beginning to, to the end, you're absolutely right, they do change and they do vary and different ones do come into play with different sectors. Um, and then we look at how those relate to more functional elements as well, because it's all very well telling our clients actually, do you know what you need to, um, or telling businesses, you know, you, you need to make your customers feel fa fairly treated, but concretely, what does that mean in terms of actions? So, so we look at these relational di dimensions and then we look at their relationship to the more functional offer that's in place so that we can understand, you know, is it about, you know, communicating at certain points? Is it about, you know, ensuring that something's accurate? Is it about, you know, more signage in store so that people feel certain about where they're going and so on and so forth? So it's really interesting and every project that we work on is, is completely different in terms of you know the the dimensions that emerge is really important and and the relationship with with what's going on in terms of the, of, of the functional experience so it, it's quite um yes every, every time we have new results there it's, it's really quite exciting to look yeah. and see what's going on and what recommendations should be made at, at the end of the process i have a i have a kind of a summarizing kind of question here um you know sort of what are the top three takeaways uh, from today's conversation there's so many and i'm gonna throw out a little straw man here just for fun to see if see if i was paying attention here um one is complexity there's situational differences there's ingredients one is the fit between kpi across management the customers the type of sector of business, for example. Um, and one is sort of this layer below the key drivers analysis. And so I'm taking away from this that leaders need to be open to the realities of what using KPIs means in a comprehensive way. You know, don't just do NPS and go, oh, it's pretty good, you know. But uh, how would you, <laughs> what do you think of my summary or how would you summarize the key takeaways from our conversations? Um. I, I like your summary. I think I would add to your summary um, just really ensuring that KPI is linked to, to the, the business outcomes or the, the commercial outcomes. Mm. Um, 
-hmm. completely agree with the driver's analysis or the diagnostics. There's absolutely no point in having a KPI that we know is linked to desirable business outcomes if we don't know how to improve it as well. Um, And I think some of those early ingredients that I sort of rattled through around fit with the organization and fit with the customer as well, that we just, just need to keep in our mind as well so that we're we're sure that the number we're collecting is also a, a meaningful number. Well, great. This has been an incredible discussion. Um, I'd love to follow it up at a later day um, with maybe some more focused discussions about, you know, like even perhaps how do we, how do, you know, how do we help people in a siloed organization um, who are, held accountable for certain outcomes. How do we, how do we tie KPIs like NPS to the business outcomes they're held accountable to um, or overall satisfaction? You know, how do you help someone in finance or accounting or otherwise to value something like that? You know, that could be a start, but in this driver's analysis, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, even if we spent a whole one talking about different situations and how the drivers might change and you know how do you communicate that to the c-suite but this has been great fiona thanks so much for starting the discussion around it and i know it's something that um cx professionals struggle with every day you know how do we engage the c-suite in a meaningful discussion around why we're doing what we're doing so this is great thanks so much for being on the show and listeners for tuning in thank you for having me all right well again listeners thanks for tuning in uh fiona thanks for dialing in from the other side of the pond we look forward to seeing you again soon thanks for listening to this episode of the tom and bob show if you enjoyed the podcast please tell your friends and share it on linkedin and twitter if you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts send us a message we'd love to hear from you after all you're our customer Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.